Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, good morning, everybody. So last week we jumped into John chapter 18. We're on a journey through John's gospel. And events in the story of Jesus are accelerating. 800 people show up to arrest Jesus at this garden called Gethsemane. And there's this funny little incident that happens right in the middle of the arrest. It's found in all four Gospels. It kind of caught my eye. Maybe it caught your eye too. In the middle of the arrest, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter, pulls out his sword and cuts off the right ear of the high priest's servant. In fact, in John's Gospel, that servant is mentioned by name. Malchus, he is in the Bible one time, and it made me kind of laugh because I thought to myself, sitting down with Malchus and saying, Malchus, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is you're going to make it in the Bible. (laughs) The bad news is you're going to get your ear chopped off, but actually it's going to work out because Jesus is going to heal your ear. But kind of the way my mind works, I kind of got fixated on that funny little incident. And I looked at it a little bit more closely, and it gets a little bit funnier actually, because you think about it. 800 men showed up to arrest Jesus. You can be certain that almost all of them were armed. Can I tell you one guy that would not have been armed? Malchus, the chief priest's servant. So Peter went after the unarmed guy, okay, with his sword. Not only that, but the Bible says that he cut off his right ear. Now, in that culture at that time, you can be certain that Peter would have been right-handed, So I want you to ask yourself this question. In what direction must Malchus have been facing for Peter to chop off his right ear? Peter jumped up, jumped an unarmed guy from behind. And not only that, but I think we can be fairly certain that Peter wasn't aiming to cut off his ear, okay? I think he was probably going for his head, closed his eyes and kind of flailed away and got his ear. You know, Peter, you're a great fisherman. Maybe you should stick to that. But it really got me thinking, so much so in fact, that I wanted to take a three-week pause and just talk about Peter. Because I hear preachers like me talk about Peter, and almost invariably, we treat him like a punchline. Like the time that Jesus was walking on the water on the Sea of Galilee, and Peter and the disciples are in the boat, and Peter calls out to Jesus, hey, Jesus, can I give it a crack? Can I try, you know? And Jesus is like, come on, Peter, come on out. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, he takes a few steps and then sinks. And Jesus kind of plucks him out of the water and dumps him back into the boat. That's kind of funny, right? Except 11 disciples stayed there huddled in the boat. One got out. And when the preacher like me makes fun of Peter for taking a few steps on the water, I would suggest that was probably a few more steps on the water than I've ever taken. How about you? Unless you're a barefoot water skier, which doesn't really count. Peter the punchline, you know? One day Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's this huge moment, you know? Jesus totally commends him. Says up until now, everybody's called you Simon. From now on, we're gonna call you Peter because Peter means the rock. And on this rock, Peter, on this confession that you just made, on your faith, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't even stand up against it. It's this incredible moment. And then Jesus goes on to say, and guys, I'm going to be heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to die there. 
but then I'm gonna rise again. And Peter's like, huh? He pulls Jesus aside. The Bible says he rebukes him. It's like, Jesus, what a stupid idea. Like, what are you thinking? The dumbest thing I've ever heard. Can we figure something else out? And Jesus looks at it in that moment and he says this. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe it's been said to you before, I hope not. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So Peter's this guy of like really high highs and really low lows. He's passionate, you know? And if you ask scholars, who's the most relatable of Jesus' 12 disciples? Guess what they say? Peter. In fact, most people would say Peter's probably the most relatable person in the entire Bible. I want you to think about that just for a second. So here's this guy. We treat him like a punchline, like a joke, right? And then we say, oh man, I gotta tell you, most relatable person in the whole Bible is Peter. He's, he's the joke. What does that say about the way that you view you? What does that say about the way that I view me? What does that say about our sense of lack, our sense of insufficiency, our sense of insecurity? See, I think when we, in one breath, say, hey, Peter's the most relatable disciple, and then in the next breath, make him into a punchline, I think it says a lot about our desire to play it safe, to step back, to settle for small. I like what Marianne Williamson said. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. Time out. We are all meant to shine as children do. I want you to take a second right now, and I want you to try to think back. Think back to a time when you were a child, when you were young enough that you didn't yet care so much about what other people thought of you. Try to think of a time in your life that you can go back far enough that you weren't so incredibly scared of failure. Think about a time in your life, if you go back far enough, that you stepped into every day saying, here is me. That's what it's supposed to look like. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Oh man, the most relatable person in the Bible, Peter, is not a punchline. He is, listen to this, he is an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose. He's an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose. Reminds me of somebody. Reminds me of you.
reminds me of you. And so if we're going to say that Peter is the most relatable person in the Bible, can we talk about him for a second? Because if you went back to first century Palestine and you met Peter, you would have found him incredibly impressive. With his brother Andrew, he owned a fishing company. Some scholars suggested it was a fishing company in multiple locations. Whether or not that's the case, if you met Peter, you would have said, man, this guy's successful. This man works hard. He's impressive. And, and, and due to the nature of the work that he did, this guy's tough, he's strong, he's got it together. You would have seen Peter as an incredibly admirable person. And yet one day, Jesus walks up to the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he approaches Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John. And he says, hey guys, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. Now I want you to really understand the power of that statement. That context and that translation, Jesus is basically saying this. Hey, you walk out in the world, here's what you're gonna see. There's so many people ensnared. There's so many people entangled. There's so many people trapped. There's so many people lost and dying. You're gonna go out, you're gonna go out in my name, through my strength, and you're gonna set them free. Think. Think for just a second. Andrew and Peter... They're successful businessmen. There they are with their nets and their boat. And Jesus says, come follow me, and you're going to set people free. What do they do? They stand up, and they follow him. Do you know anyone with that kind of faith? Because that's incredible. He's not a punchline. He's an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose, just like you. Twelve disciples, Peter was one of them. In fact, Jesus had an inner circle of three, James, John, and Peter. If you ask most people who the unofficial leader of the disciples was, that's Peter. That's Peter. Not a punchline, not a punchline, but an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose, just like you. Now, I'll bring that up because we're about to jump back into John chapter 18. Okay? And when we do, what we're going to see is that the whole cutting off Melchizedek's right ear thing, that's just the beginning of Peter's bad day. Okay, like the, the, the low lights continue to come for him. And as we look at them, though, I want to make sure we're looking at them through this lens. Who is he? Not a punchline. Imperfect person with a tremendous purpose. Just like Okay, so to understand what happens next, I gotta take us back just a little bit to what's known as the Last Supper. Jesus sits down with his disciples to prepare them what, for what is to come, you know? And he says, hey guys, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna get arrested, and when I'm arrested, you're going to scatter. You're gonna scatter. And Peter interrupts Jesus in that moment, and he says, uh, hey Jesus, um, here's the thing. Even if the rest of these losers let you down, you know I will not, right? Like, e e even if these wingnuts are too weak, you know who I am, right? I'm Peter, I'm strong. I am not going to let you down. It's this incredible moment because then Jesus looks at Peter and he says this. 
Peter, before the rooster crows early tomorrow morning, you're going to deny, deny three times that you even know me. Get it? So Peter says, even if these losers let you down, I won't. Jesus says, actually, three times you're going to deny even knowing me before the rooster crows. And then Jesus says this. He says, but I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. And when you return, you would strengthen your brothers. I want to ask you a simple question. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. His faith in who? Because I can assure you, Jesus was not concerned in that moment with Peter's faith in Jesus. Like, Jesus knows what's about to happen, right? He knows he's gonna be arrested. He's gonna be beaten. He's gonna be nailed to a Roman cross where he suffers and dies. And on the third day, he's gonna rise again. He's going to step out of that empty tomb. He's going to defeat death. So I don't think Jesus is overwhelmingly worried that Peter is going to go like, I don't know, I wish he would have defeated death a little bit differently. You know, I just, I, it doesn't work for me. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. Peter's faith in who? Peter's faith in Peter. funny it reminds me a little bit somebody asked Jesus once what's the greatest commandment what's the greatest commandment Jesus said ah, I got to give you two I got to give you two first one is this love God with everything you got the second is love your neighbor as yourself you don't do a great job of that that whole loving yourself thing if you treated other people the way you treat you, you wouldn't have many friends. If you talk to other people the way you talk to you, you'd get punched in the head daily. Why is that? What's going on? You know, in Galatians 5, God inspires the Apostle Paul to take it one step further. He says, hey, you can fulfill the entire law if you just keep this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And yet if you treated other people the way you treated you, you'd have no friends. If you talked to other people the way you talked to you, you'd get punched in the head regularly. What's going on? Here's what I wanna suggest. I wanna suggest that in this city where we live, there's a lot of people who have no problem believing in God. They have a lot of problem believing that God could ever believe in them. There's a lot of people in this city right now who would say, yeah, it's historically accurate. I've looked into it. Jesus was born. He lived. He taught. He healed. He died. He rose again. They have no problem believing in God. They just have so much problem believing that God could ever love someone like them. What's going on? It's funny because Jesus says, hey guys, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna rise again. And Peter pulls him aside, you know, he's like, what a dumb idea that is, Jesus. You know, what are you thinking? And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. 
Who was Jesus talking to when he said that? Did he have a new nickname for Peter? You know, it went from Simon to Peter. I got a new little nickname for you, Peter. It's, it's Satan. We're just gonna call you Satan from now on. So who was Jesus talking to? Jesus was talking to Satan. You have a spiritual enemy called Satan. It means adversary. He wants to destroy you. And, and if he can't destroy your faith in Jesus, he'll just come after you. He'll come after your faith in you. It's not even that hard, really. That's why there's all kinds of people in this city, all kinds of people in this world. They really believe that if they walked into a church, they'd get struck by lightning. No, they really believe that. There's all kinds of people in this world that if you tell them, hey, God delights in you. God smiles upon you, which is true, by the way. They won't believe it. They don't think he delights in them. They, they think God's disgusted in them. And that the whole thing, God smiles upon you, is like, yeah, maybe he tries with me, but it's just like he grimaces. Like he can't quite bring himself to smile because he's just like, ugh. That's what they think. Or when you tell them, hey, you can't out the love of God. They're like, man, that sounds like a great rule. I'm the exception. I pulled it off. Or how about this? People like you sitting in this room right now, watching online right now, sitting in overflow right now, who step into a church experience every single week, and somewhere along the line, You've been led to believe, you've been led to believe, you've been led to believe that the highest aspiration of your life, the highest goal of your life, the highest dream of your life, the best thing that you could ever accomplish with your life is don't completely screw it up. Don't biff it, you know? Why you go to church? Well, I'm just hoping not to be a complete and utter train wreck and nightmare. That's, I guess that's my dream. Everyone has to have an aspiration. I guess that's mine. Really? Where did that come from? Oh, that came from Satan. Your spiritual enemy is seeking to destroy you. If he can't destroy your faith in Jesus, he will come after your faith in you. My prayer for you this week, by the way, is that God would silence the voice of the enemy in your life. And you would begin, you would begin, you would begin to see you like God sees you. Game changer. But I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. So Peter goes out and just like Jesus said, he denies three times that he even knows Jesus. He follows Jesus after they arrest him to the high priest's house. And in the courtyard of his house, three times he denies even knowing Jesus. The third time is found in verse 26 of John 18. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off. <laughs> Shouldn't have cut Melchizedek's ear off, I'm telling you. Challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. That's it. Peter's bad day just got worse. Can we be fair just for a second, though? Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. How, how many went with him after he got arrested? by the way. Peter and John 
were the only ones that followed Jesus after he got arrested. So we can sit here right now and we can say, well, Peter lost a few rounds, that's true, but at least he was in the fight. And I would say the same thing to you today, wherever you're joining us from. Hey, you might have lost a few rounds, but I'm proud of you. You're still in the fight. And so the more I thought about Peter, the more I felt like we needed to push pause for three weeks, for three weeks. And so what I wanna do is I wanna learn some lessons from his lowlights. This week and next week, I wanna talk about that. What can we learn? Because you got a lot in common with Peter. You're not a punchline. You're an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose, just like Peter. So what can we learn from his lowlights? We'll talk about that this week and next week. And then two weeks from today, I wanna talk about what we can learn from, I think, Peter's finest hour. Man, I'm excited about that. When, when, when Peter got it right, when everything around him was going wrong, it's beautiful. You're not a punchline, imperfect person, tremendous purpose, just like Peter. So what's one thing? I'm talking about one thing today and then two things next week that we can learn from Peter's lowlights. Number one, humility. We can learn humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again because you just blew that off. You just kind of toned me out because you've heard that before. So I want you to listen to me. Listen to me, please. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Really, really important. What does that mean? That means if I walk around all day saying, man, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. I'm like the best there is. That's not humble. Okay? You're like, thank you, Mike. This is why I study all week, to prepare you for moments of truth like this. However, if I walk around all day going, I'm terrible. I'm embarrassing. I'm disgusting. I'm despicable. That is not humility. It's not. There's a word that people use sometimes to describe insecurity. They say that person is self-conscious. Ever heard that? They're so self-conscious. That's not humility. Being constantly conscious of yourself is not humility. It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And then the Bible says, man, when you can get to that place in your life, here's what happens. God gives grace to the humble. God lifts the humble up. He honors the humble. He teaches the humble. He guides the humble. So I want to talk about how can we learn a little bit from Peter's low light so that we too can be humble. Man, one of the greatest illustrations in the entire Bible on humility is found later on in the New Testament in the book of James. Jesus had this little brother named James, and he wrote a letter of instruction to the first century church. By God's plan, it's in our Bible. Listen to this illustration of humility. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. You've never heard humility defined that way, but it's perfect. So here's the question, who are you? Remember I said humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less? So, so maybe I should change that. Like, who are you really? 
Not, 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 not who do you think you are. Who, do, who does God think you are? Well, according to James, he's the father. He's the father of lights. He's your father. So here's some things I know about you, okay? According to God, you are adopted into God's family, which means you are chosen. And I know the price that was paid for your adoption. Jesus gave his life for you. So that means you are valuable beyond measure. You're adopted, you're chosen, you're valuable beyond measure. You're loved fully, completely, and unconditionally. You're God's masterpiece. You're his workmanship. You're not an accident. You were placed on this planet specifically for a reason. Philippians 2 says it this way. You are a star. You are a star. And the father of lights placed you on this planet to shine into the darkness. Man, I love that. Who are you? You're a star. You're a star. And the father of lights placed you on this planet to shine into the darkness. Who are you? Who are you? I know, I know, I know. I know the words that you've been listening to. I know what you believe. Who are you really? Who are you really? I know some things about you. You're adopted. You're chosen. You're valuable beyond measure. You're loved. You're God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You were placed on this planet for a reason. There's a purpose for you. You're not an accident. You're a star. Born to shine into the darkness. That's who you are. You want to know what humility looks like? You want to know where it starts? That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Who are you? You're chosen. You're adopted. You're valuable beyond measure. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You are not an accident. You were placed on this planet. You're a star born to shine into the darkness. That's who you are. And after you figure that out, after you and I get that, then, then, then. Hey, be slow to speak. Quick to listen. First, know who you are. It's so incredibly difficult. So I'm trying to get good at golf, you know? And I go golfing quite often. Sometimes I go golfing with some of the younger guys from our church, right? And so I'll step up to the first tee, and this is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. I'll say something like this on the first tee. Okay, I'll say, well, here goes nothing. And then I'll have a couple of good holes and Joey will say to me, hey man, you're playing great. And I'll say, huh, even a broke clock is right twice a day. I'll give you a second to get that one, okay. Um, or we'll get near the end of the round and and someone will say, man, things are going really, really well. And I'll say, just wait. Just wait, it's coming. Things are about to fall apart. And once in a while, one of those young guys, my son Lucas especially, will stop and he'll say, what are you talking about? Why would you say that stuff? And I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just golf. It's just golf. It's some stupid little game. But man, oh man, does it ever describe the way that you and me have a tendency to live our lives. 
When you step up to the first tee of your day and you say, here goes nothing, what's that called? You know what that's called? It's called prejection. It's called prejection. See, because I don't want anybody to know that I'm really working at this and I really want it to go well. And I really actually believe that it can go well because when it all falls apart, because after all, I'm me, then I can say, well, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, you know, prejection, prejection, prejection. I wanna face the rejection right away before it even happens because I just know it's gonna happen. So every morning, in the back of my journal, when I'm doing my devotions, I got all these declarations written out, right? And, and one of them is a really long one. It's like everything I was just saying to you before. Who, who am I? I'm adopted. I'm chosen. I'm valuable beyond measure. I'm God's workmanship. I'm his masterpiece. I'm a star born to shine into the darkness. But I've been finding lately that starting my day off like that, that helps me for about the first 17 and a half minutes of my day. Like, I, I went golfing the other day. You're like, Mike, tell us more golf stories. I would love to. So I go golfing the other day, and I, and, and, and I say to myself, I, say, I said, you know what? I'm not gonna talk that way. I had no idea what to say. I wonder if you would struggle to figure out what to say if you just stopped treating yourself like a punchline and started believing what's already true about you, that you're an imperfect person with a tremendous purpose. So I think I'm just gonna shorten my little journal piece. I'm just gonna shorten it to this. I'm a star. I was born to shine into the darkness. That's it, because I need it like, I need it like a thousand times a day, man. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Not, do, not who do you say you are? Who, what are the lies that you believe in? Who are you really? Who does God say you are? You're a star born to shine into the darkness. That's who you are. And then, and then, and then be quick to listen and slow to speak. So Peter says, even if all these losers let you down, I won't. Jesus says, hey, Peter, um, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny three times you know me. And you get the sense if you read through the gospel accounts that Peter doesn't even hear him, it's not, he's not listening. And so I guess at that point in his life, Peter was like quick to speak and slow to listen. He was seeking first to be understood, not to understand. And I guess maybe it's because he just didn't have a full picture of who he really is. I get that. I spent my entire adult life in leadership. And one of the things about being in leadership that you kind of have to learn is you kind of have to learn to filter out criticism because there's a lot of it, you know? Last week was fall kickoff. So fun, so fun. It's just great. And, and, and our entire team at Southside, we just worked so hard for fall kickoff. And our Southside kids team, world class, world class. Our kids team is world class. Led by Emma and Maddie and they were preparing for fall kickoff, you know? And it was just amazing. They did such an incredible job. They went through sleepless nights to get ready for it. And they did it, you know? And then, and, and then it ended. It ended and all the kids were filing out, going, that was so fun, that was so amazing, you know? And, and, and one kid goes to walk out and on his way out, and Emma is standing there, and on his way out, uh, he says to his parents, that was terrible. 
<laughs> that was terrible. Don't ever make me come back here. And, and then Emma says to him, uh, would you like some cotton candy? He's like, I would love some. Thank you so much. And I, I don't know why, but I, I just, I, I laugh at that because I think that's just leadership, you know? You can't, you can't please everybody all the time. So what happens a little bit is you start to kind of like filter out criticism. But, but it concerns me that we don't do that completely. Because it's Jesus speaking to Peter. Probably shouldn't filter that out. So there should be a couple people in your life, a few people in your life, where you remain listening. So two words I want to give you as I prepare the beginning of the first phase of my close to my sermon today. <laughs> you see that? That's qualified, man. Like I could go for two hours and I could say, I never, okay, anyways. Confident and curious. Confident and curious, two words. Confident and curious, confident and curious. 2023, September the 17th, yeah. Confident and curious. Confident, who are you? I'm chosen. I'm adopted, you know, I'm a star. I was born, I was placed on this planet to shine into the darkness, that's who I am. Be confident of that, be confident of that. And, and, and once you take hold of that, once you take hold of that confidence, then be curious. Worst 90 minutes of my week. The worst 90 minutes of my week every single week. Thursdays, 4 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Happiest moment of my week, Thursdays, 5.31 p.m., okay? Thursdays at 4 p.m. is what's called sermon run-through. So the sermon that I'm preaching to you right now, I, I preached in front of some staff members on Thursday at 4 p.m. So to try to explain to you the effort that I put in by the time I get to Thursday at 4 p.m. would take a really long time. So suffice it to say, Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours have gone into preparing that sermon. And then Thursday at four, I stand up here and I preach it to them. And about once every 17 years, when I'm done, they say, it's perfect. Just, that's, just keep it exactly how it is. And I'm like, that's what I thought. That's great, you know? But most times they do not say that. Many weeks they say something like this. It's too long. You gotta cut it. And when they say that, there's a part of me that says, no, you know what I think I'll do instead? Cut you. <laughs> kind of like Peter cut Malchus, that kind of cut, or at least cut you from the staff team. You know what I mean? And that one section was a little bit awkward. You know, do you think we could straighten it out? Your face is a little bit awkward. Do you think we could straighten that out, buddy? <laughs> I don't know, could we like clarify that one section? Yeah, we could. If everybody's as stupid as you, maybe they couldn't figure it out. <laughs> like, Mike, you're so weird. I know, I know. And you're listening to me, you. <laughs> okay, but, but here's the thing. Here's what happens sometimes in life. If you're not confident about who you are, you, think, you start to think that what you do defines you. So whether it's a sermon or a song or a business or a political opinion or whatever it is, you start to think that's you. So if, if, if anyone goes after that, you think your very essence is threatened. But here's the truth, it's not. See, your life is a journey of becoming, not doing. So when I say to you, listen, when I say to you, hey, you can be confident in this. You're a star. 
You're a star. You were born to shine into the darkness. You might look at me and you go, but what if I don't? No, you already are. Like, it's true. It's already true. That's who you are. And, and your life is, it's, it's a journey of becoming. So, so what I mean by that is your life is about manifesting that truth that's already true inside of you to a world that desperately needs it. That's it. Well, what if I don't? It, it's not the point. It's not, it's not, the, the point isn't doing. It's already true about you. So step by step, little by little, that truth is gonna come out. It's not a journey of doing, it's a journey of becoming. Be confident and be curious, be curious. I was thinking about it this week as I prepared. Maybe there's people up until now in the sermon, you've been looking at me right now going, well, I got that. I mean, the confident thing, I'm so confident. <laughs> you know, I get it. I'm a star, always have been. That's just the way it is. Okay, yeah, but can you, <laughs> I know, Steve, I know. Okay, so please, Steve's wife just pointed at him. Okay, so <laughs> that's love right there. Okay. Here's what I mean. Be confident, right? But also be curious. This low, difficult day for Peter in John chapter 18, man, this was the turning point in his life. Like things get better, like way, way better. But it would probably be important to note this. Peter's life got way better, not because, and from that day onward, Peter knew everything. Now, from that day onward, Peter had this curious, he had, had this knowledge more and more and more. Who am I? And that allowed him to be curious, to ask questions, to learn. So be confident. Be confident. Who are you? You're a star. Born to shine into the darkness. And then be curious. So resist the urge to get your back up. Resist the urge to shout over top of people and ask questions. Be confident and be curious. I'll end with this. <laughs> I was thinking about when the stars come out at night, you know? This isn't scientifically accurate what I'm about to say to you. But I just imagine like it's 8.30, 8.45 p.m. It gets dark and, and the stars come out. And there's Steve the star, you know? Stacy the star. And it's time. This is the moment. It's the moment to shine. And I just wonder if Stacy, if she's like, gotta shine, gotta shine, gotta shine, gotta shine, gotta give it everything I got. I don't think so. I think Stacy just does what stars do. You're a star. Just do what you do. Let's pray. There's people here today in this room watching online in overflow and the truth is you've been listening to all kinds of lies. You've been believing all kinds of lies about you. And I want to remind you again, you're chosen. You're loved. Jesus came, stepped into human history. He died, rose again, paid the price for your adoption. Everything that needed to be done for your salvation has already been accomplished through his death and resurrection. So my question is real simple. How about we turn the page? How about we turn the page 
to a life of belief, to a life of faith, to a life that you were born to live, a star shining into the darkness. And that starts by accepting what Jesus has already done for you. So if that's you, and today's the day you wanna do it with all eyes closed, closed and all heads bowed, can you just raise your hand nice and high because I wanna pray for you right now. It's amazing. If you're watching online and it's safe to do so, I would love if you could raise your hand also. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray out loud and I invite you to just pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you stepped into human history. Thank you that you love me, that you're for me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the Father of light. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. So first of all, I acknowledge Everything I have is from you and I thank you. So I come to you right now and I ask you to forgive my sins and give me a fresh start. Jesus, thank you that you died for me and thank you that you rose again. Pray that you would give me the ability to live my life, to shine, to shine today, tomorrow, and forever. And God, I pray for the rest of us, those of us who have been in church for a month now or years and years and years and years. In the name of Jesus, I pray against any designs by the enemy to speak lies into our ears, into our hearts. Father, I pray hope. I pray truth. I pray strength. I pray courage. I pray true humility. Father God, I pray against any lies that we've come to believe and carry around with us as if they were truth, part of our baggage, I pray against those lies. I pray for your truth to shatter the lies. Any designs of the enemy to rob us of faith in you by robbing us of faith in who you see us. Father, I pray against those. In Jesus' name. We love you, we thank you in your name. Amen, amen, let's celebrate. So next week, we're gonna continue talking about Peter. We'll see you then. I love you lots. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.